My Life Now is a half-hour podcast show which regularly features reviews of new releases and all-time classics of both traditionally published and self-published books. Tune in for special guest interviews and, of course, helpful tips to not only write your next book, but also to help market it. My Life Now is most often referred to as a great way for authors to get quality exposure and avid readers to discover their next read. Without further delay, here's another stimulating episode of My Life Now. Welcome back to another episode of My Life Now. Once again, I'm your co-host, Stephen, and it's great to be here in the studio today with another amazing guest, Andy Kenningsmark. Andy, it's so great to have you here today. How are you? I'm good, Stephen. Thanks. You actually got our last name correct, so that doesn't happen a lot, but I appreciate it. Yes, good. That's good news. That's a great start to the interview. Andy is a Presbyterian minister who lives in a small city of Angel Fire, New Mexico. Is it a small city? It's a small congregation church, but is it a small city as well? It is. We about There's about 1,200 full-time residents. And so it's interesting. It, it It is a ski resort, but at, we refer to it as like the forgotten ski resort in America. Wow. It was established in the 1960s, but most people don't even realize that's what it is. So it is like a year-round resort, but it is it was started as a ski resort originally. I love small cities like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I grew up in a city of 800 people. Oh! It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the big difference between like that is, I don't know about where you grew up, but we have tons and tons of visitors so it ebbs and flows all the time you know so like we have 1200 okay. here we didn't have as many exciting things okay yeah like i think over christmas we'll have like 20 30,000 visitors wow. no i don't think my city could fit 30,000 visitors <laughs> i don't know yeah you wouldn't think that i mean but there's tons of homes around here <laughs> and then the other thing people don't realize about new mexico is there's not a lot of room to expand a lot of the land is either owned by um, the reservations, uh, Bureau of Land Management, or it's National Forest. So you hmm. come here and it seems like there's just tons and tons of land, which there is, but it's not buildable. Hmm. No, I did not know that. I wouldn't have known that either until we moved here. And Andy, where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in Georgia. I actually grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, I want to hear a little bit of your background. I see your list here that you sent me. It's so incredible. You were on American Gladiators, Ninja Warrior, The Million Dollar Mile. It's, I mean, you got a great background. I'm so interested. Can you just tell us a little bit more about yourself for us to get to know you a little bit more? Sure. I uh, grew up always playing sports, but I was always kind of on the small side. And so, you know, I think I was always having to kind of be that scrappy athlete and you know, the big part of my story is I was told that I wasn't going to graduate high school. I wasn't going to go to college. Hmm. As a young kid, I was placed in special ed. And, you know, they, the school system really wanted me to pursue a trade instead of going into, uh, guess, I guess, like college studies. And, you know, my family was like, there's nothing wrong with him. He just has learning disabilities. And so, thankfully, my mother really was an advocate for me. And, really fought for me to get the best help I could get from the school system. And I think a lot of my motivation has been fueled by people telling me that I wasn't going to be able to do things. So, you know, you're not going to be able to play sports. You're not going to be able to go to college. You're not going to do comedy. You know, you're not going to be a minister. You're never going to leave Georgia. So I think so much of that of my story of being told I wasn't going to do things really fueled me to do things instead of 
kind of accepting that as status quo. Yeah. Yeah. I think nowadays we kind of go, go to the other option, you know, like you say, we kind of pull back a little bit and we start to believe those things that people say about us instead of use it for motivation to be who you are today. Would you agree with that? Right. Oh, totally. And, you know, it's frustrating that, you know, that we can pull people away from things they might achieve mm -hmm. by just our words, but the words are so powerful and can be, you know, we can use them to lift people up or we can use obviously to tear people down. And so thankfully for me, I used them as a motivator. Yeah. And we're here today to talk about your book, Born to Backslide. And I'm sure you'll get a little bit more into that as we go on. But I also see here that you're a passionate snowboarder, a mountain biker, adventure racer. And also I do want to hear about this ninja warrior gladiator yeah. thing. What got you into this type of stuff? Well, um, the crazy thing is, is when we lived in LA, when I was going to seminary, I was doing stand-up comedy and performing, you know, two to three times a week around the LA area. And at that time, Last Comic Standing was becoming a big deal on television and it was an NBC show. And so my sister really wanted me to audition for Last Comic Standing. So I told her I would. And I realized that I'd missed the audition by like a day or something. But there was going to be an audition, I think, the next day for American Gladiators. And as a child, I'd always watched it growing up and loved it. And I was like, you know what? I'm in shape. I'm here. I've got the time to go down to audition tomorrow. I'll go do it. And I drove down to Venice Beach. And it was crazy. When we got down there, I thought, you know, I bet you there'll be like, I don't know, 100 people down there auditioning. And I think at that audition, there was maybe like 3000 hmm, people wow. <laughs> that showed up and I got there. I want to say the audition time was at eight and I probably got there at seven 30. You know, I knew I needed to get there a little early and I probably was near the back of the line. And so we get there around seven 30 and I don't think I even got to go before like the casting team until probably three in the afternoon. Hmm. And it was ridiculous. They were they were like, okay, do as many pull-ups as you can, do as, as many push-ups as you can, run to that cone, run back. And then at the end of that, they're like, okay, tell us your name and what you do for a living. And so I tell them that I'm studying to be a minister, and they're like, okay, great, thanks. And that was it. I mean, after standing in line for, you know, whatever that was, eight hours, basically, uh, I had a maybe a minute-long audition, and... Probably a month later, they called back and said, hey, we're interested in you um, doing like the second round of interviews for the show. So I did that. And then again, don't hear back from them. And probably another month later, they invited, I want to say, maybe 40 of us on set. And so we practiced and trained for the show for maybe a week. And then from that, I think they selected 24 of us and then four alternates. And originally, I was not selected on the show. I was an alternate. And so uh, on the first night of filming, one of the competitors tore his ACL. And I was actually out snowboarding. And they called me. And they were like, hey, if you want to be on the show, you need to be here at like 8 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, oh, gosh. I was like, okay, well, I'm out in the mountains snowboarding. I was like, I think I can make it. And so I get down there. And... Within like 30 minutes of being on set, like I'm going for my first event. So I got to compete and I made it through a couple episodes and then lost in the semifinals. And that's in the book. And it was just 
obviously it was heartbreaking because I was leading the whole time and then lost kind of like right at the end. And so, you know, a lot of people over the years are like, man, I can't believe you lost. It's like, well, I did, you know. So that's how I got to do American Gladiators. And then Ninja Warrior, they were filming and doing one of the regional qualifiers in Denver. And we'd moved to Colorado at that point. And I guess they have maybe scouts that work for them and they know kind of where people are. And so they reached out to me and said, hey, we're going to be shooting a regional qualifier. (laughs) Basically, anybody can compete, but they have these, like it's like these walk-on events. And so to get there, to get like a walk-on spot, people get there. It's crazy. Some people get there like a week in advance, camp out and (laughs) wait and hope that they take enough walk-ons. And in any, it just depends. So in any given regional, they might take a hundred walk-ons. They might take five, but then they have people that are selected to, to compete, which I was, so I didn't have to do the walk-on and I only made it through five obstacles. The thing that most people don't realize about with Ninja Warrior is that the people that do really well on it, that's their thing. Like that's, where they spend all their time and energy is in courses like that. Oh my gosh. It's nuts. And that's like their life, you know? And we were living in another small town and we just, I didn't have access to it. You know, it's like, I'm just working out just, you know, like an average Joe. And I mean, these guys that do really well and the women that do really well, I mean, that is their life. And so the next year I was invited to come back and compete again and I was just like, man, this, you know, I just, this is not something I have time and energy to be training for. I really like your story of American Gladiators because it's like going to try out for American Idol and then trying out for Fear Factor instead. Like, that's the crazy story. Like, that's amazing. I don't have stories like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, my wife is a health and wellness coach. And we kind of talk about it. It's this idea of one of the reasons you stay in shape is to always be ready because you don't know what opportunities are going to come. And so I think about it over the years, I've gotten to go on some pretty cool trips and gotten to do some cool races. And I've gotten to do, you know, obviously I got to do American Gladiators and Ninja Warrior. And then I got to do Million Dollar Mile. And part of it is, is just because A few years ago, a young reader sat down in a coffee shop and began, well, writing. R.R. Noel's poem took social media by storm. Using a typewriter, Noel writes a poem each day for her readers, supporters, and fellow writers. Since 2016, R.R. Noel's work has been featured in numerous publications, including the HuffPost, BuzzFeed, 5280 Magazine, and she's published in three full-length poetry collections. To order her newest addition to the collection, At War With Stars, a book through self-discovery and seeking unanswered questions, visit rrnoall.com. Would God register to vote as a Republican or a Democrat? Stephen Connolly is willing to risk millions on the answer. This is a proactive look at how religious voters can cut through the media, spin in the mess in the American politics to identify what the creator would really think. Readers will learn why it's a myth that God only cares about abortion and homosexuality when in fact he is aligned with one party on economics, foreign policy, race relations, and more. Find your book by searching The God Bet on Amazon today.
like I said, it was this whole premise is I was ready, you know, and I kind of stayed ready. And my wife's like, well, Andy, not everybody's going to get to compete on a TV show. And I'm like, I get that. But I was like, I would hate to get invited on like a trip to go hike like Mount Kilimanjaro. And it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity and to say no, because I wasn't in shape to do it or, you know, a great mountain bike trip or whatever it is. And so I don't know. That's just probably been part of my story of like always trying to be ready. I think we can definitely apply that to our own lives as well, to be ready for whatever comes because we don't know what's going to come. We didn't expect 2020 yeah. coronavirus to come. You know, no. we never know what's going to happen. No. And what's it like down there with the, with the virus? We're back in lockdown. Mm -hmm. in I think we passed well. Italy for the highest coronavirus cases. So, I mean, I think we're doing pretty bad. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah it's nuts. And I don't know like what the temperature is there based on how people feel about it. But, you know, it's just so divisive. Actually, I think a lot of Brazilians are kind of just like, eh, you know, just another day. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> oh, good. Good. That might be the better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, not everyone, but a lot of people are like, yeah, you know. No, I know what you're <laughs> saying, though. Uh, so that, I mean, that's a lot of my mm -hmm. life. I, and then I got to compete in Million Dollar Mile in 2018. I think we filmed it in 2018, and then it showed in 2019. And kind of the crazy thing about that is, so we didn't get to practice on any of the obstacles. You know, it was like we got to see them, but the guys that we were running against in the show were all professional obstacle course racers. <laughs> and they had been training on this stuff for several weeks, maybe even a month before filming took place. And, you know, unfortunately, I think it was a really cool concept, but, you know, I just don't think they ran through with like enough guinea pigs to really know how the show is going to turn out because I think there wasn't like enough excitement mm -hmm. behind it. And it wasn't, I don't know, it was very much set up that the professional racers were going to win. You know, but you want the underdog to win, which, you know, like I was 40 years old when we filmed it. And the guy that I was running against was like 21 or 22. And I want to say he was like the youngest American to win like a Spartan race or something. Just like outrageous people, you know, that you're racing against. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Like he consistently, I think this is right, ran like a five minute hmm. mile. And you know, they're like, well, how fast do you run a mile? And I'm like, consistently, I run like a seven minute mile, which, you know, it's pretty good, but it's not like it's fast. So if you give me a two minute head start and this guy runs a five minute mile, if you do the math, I mean, he's already gaining, you know, he's gaining on me. You know, it's interesting. I called my wife the night before we went out to film and she said, what do you think? And I said, I'm coming home with money. It's just a matter of how much. And she said, how do you know? And I said, because I've, I've seen the course, I understand the rules. And I said, I'm either coming home with 10,000 or 25. And she said, well, wh why don't you think you're going to win more? And I said, I can assure you if I try to go for 50 or 100, that I'm going to come home with nothing. Because mm -hmm. the way the game worked was once you hit a checkpoint, you had to leave the game. Basically, like once you grab the money, you didn't bank it. Mm -hmm. You're basically like running and trying to get away with the money. Whereas in, you know, like some game shows, you like kind of bank it and can't lose it. So uh, for me, when I got to the 10,000 threshold, 
I was like, this guy's gaining on me, and I exited the game. So, but nobody won the million dollar prize, and then that was the end of the. They didn't bring it back after that year, which is kind of crazy because LeBron James was the executive producer, <laughs> and I want to say it was his first TV show that he produced, and they put a lot of money into the, uh, you know, into it for it not to do well. But you know, our family got money which was great. Put it in the kids' college fund. That's a good deal. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you for explaining a little bit about your life. I was very curious when I read this. This Not everybody yeah. I get to talk to has an amazing background like this. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. And I do want to yeah, no get into the, the book a little bit more, Born to Backslide. And so first off, sure. what, was the, what created the title of this? What inspired you to write this book? And- so I was raised in a somewhat conservative... Um, Christian family. And I think it was like a phrase that I would hear being thrown around in our church culture. And I was like, oh, he's backsliding or she's backsliding. And it kind of meant that the person had walked away from their faith. And it always, it was never used in a good term. You know, if somebody was backsliding, it meant they were up to no good. And so I think part of it is, is I, I feel like I struggled so much uh, from kind of elementary school till probably till I graduated high school. And I felt like, you know, here I am trying to figure out my faith in the midst of these struggles and feeling like I'm always kind of getting pushed back and not given the space or the freedom to explore my Christian faith. And through that, I never felt like I was really moving forward. And so, so much of the book is this idea that, you know, it's a struggle. All of it is. Life is, our faith is, you know, raising kids, marriage. Uh, and, you know, we have the opportunity to embrace that struggle and to push through, or we can kind of basically backslide and let it beat us. So it's like, what are we going to do? Are we going to push forward? Are we going to kind of let our circumstances dictate our future? I think it's a great parallel to your American Gladiator, Ninja Warrior, Million Dollar Mile, all of that, you, you were the underdog in all of these situations compared to the professionals oh, for competing sure. all the time for this. For sure. And I, and, I, and I think so much of like my story, like I said, you know, being told I wasn't going to graduate high school and not going to go to college. And I think so much of my story of being told that I wasn't going to do something. So instead of basically backsliding, I tried to push forward as much as I could. And then, you know, through that, my faith has evolved and formed. And, you know, a lot of the book is kind of me figuring out my place as a minister as I've kind of scrubbed up through life and, you know, how I'm going to respond to people around me as well. Mm -hmm. And who would you say that this book is written for? Would it be someone who experienced a similar life to you? Anybody can just pick up this book and be inspired by it. What do you think about that? A lot of it is for people that are disenchanted maybe with their church experience. So for them to say, okay, maybe I'm not ready to go back to church, but I'm not done with my faith yet. And so I think a lot of that is kind of geared toward, I would say, probably age 28 to probably 40. But I have found that, you know, older adults who've read it as well, they've said they've enjoyed it. But, you know, there is some disconnect for them on some things that I talk about. and. You know, I also talk about how much experience we can have these beliefs until we have a real life experience. 
And so like one in there, I talk about a guy that I used to work with who was brought to the U.S. when he was seven illegally. Well, he's here. He's here illegally. Mm-hmm. He's here legal now. But, you know, people were like, well, he doesn't deserve to be here. You know, he came here illegally, send him home. And it's like, well, he didn't choose to come. Yeah. You know, his family brought him here. And then when there was like threats of being sent back to Mexico, it's like, well, he made to send them home. It's like, well, he left this place when he was seven years old. Like, that's not his home any, anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's real easy to have these opinions about something like immigration. If you And that's part of my story in there is just, you know, a lot of these ideas that I grew up with in the church or things that I heard, you know, growing up in Georgia, I didn't have a personal connection or interaction with them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but Mexico has a bad rap in the U.S. Like, for example, my like I said before, my wife is Brazilian. And I was just trying to, to explain to her why Mexico has a bad rap for America. It, would it be the same situation if it was someone from yeah. from Germany? Yeah, I don't know. You know? Would they still feel the same way? I don't know. Well, I'm guessing, like, I don't know if there's people that come into Brazil illegally uh, for a better life. You know, but it's that it's that idea that I think people feel like people from Mexico are coming into the into America and like stealing our culture and taking jobs away. And I, I don't know if I believe that to be true, but you never hear people badmouthing Canadians. Yeah, right. You know, for that reason. Mm-hmm. And, but maybe there's not an issue with Canadians coming across the border. I don't know. I've never read that. And Andy, what would you say is your favorite part of this book? Just an overall story or just one thing that sticks out the most to you? I think the favorite part of my book is the fact that I'm blending my passion for humor, for sports, and for theology. But it's it's not too heavy in any one area where somebody's going to have to sit down with a dictionary to understand what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. I think it's written very simply. Um and it's a funny story and it's an easy read and I think it's enjoyable. And then I think, you know, there's nuggets of wisdom in there for everybody, including myself. And what do you think overall, what was your overall message today for our listeners, for your readers? What's something that you just want to bring with, with your life, one overall sentence or word? This is it. You know, I think you have to write your own story. Don't let somebody write it for you. I think we can definitely look at that with your testimony that you shared with us and everything you've been talking about today. That's the overall theme. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, anytime you see a closed door, I mean, I know it's that cliche, but, you know, look for the open one. And, you know, if you're choosing adventure, then chase after adventure. We've chosen to live in a ski resort town so that um, I can snowboard and mountain bike and I don't always have to be wanting to do it. You know, our family made that decision. And so for me, that was the story we wrote to serve in a in a ski town great and i have one more question for you to end the podcast today yeah absolutely what is the future of 2021 for you and your family sure for i hope it's for most of us and it's basically going back to uh, somewhat of a normal life and for our kids to be able to be back in school in person and you know for us to be enjoying living in community whereas i feel like we've been so closed off from personal relationships i hope that we have that opportunity to live in community with people around us. We need that community too. We need that human interaction face to face. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, ready player two just came out and it's the follow up to ready player one. And there's a, a line in there where they just said, you know, basically we weren't meant to live in social media. 
that we were designed to live in tribes of like a hundred people with, with interactions that were face to face. And it's so true that, you know, we're just designed and wired from birth to be in personal connection with one another. I think I've heard about Ready Player One and I really liked it. I think Ready Player Two would be awesome if I'm remembering correctly. It's good. It's interesting. Yeah. So Ready Player One, they made it into a film. That's what I watched, the film, definitely. Okay. And it was good. And I think they've written it more. That was written more to like uh, middle school, high school, early 20s. The Mm. interesting thing is I don't feel like Ready Player Two is like that. I think it's like a little bit more raw and a little bit more abrasive. All right. Well... Andy, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I really appreciate your time. And you guys just listened to another episode of My Life Now. Thank you for listening and supporting another episode of My Life Now. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast show and share it with a friend. Together, we can keep the message of these books alive. Until we turn the next page together, stay classy. Stay classy.